I can't hear any of that, but it sounded interesting. That I think that was um, Persian traditional music, Jean-Jerome? That's right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, welcome to everybody who's joining us this Saturday. To me, it's morning. I know it's noon, but <laughs> for me, it's morning. So welcome to everyone who's joining us tonight or to, yeah, tonight, today. Uh, we have a special guest, Andrea Savar, and of course, my co-host, Jean-Jerome. Baudry, if you could be so nice as to give us a little bit of uh, Andrea's background, we'll get started, okay? Good morning, everybody. Welcome, Andrea. It's beautiful to have you on with us. Thank you. And uh, a big shout out to all our, our uh, guests and, and as well as our listeners that are watching right now. Claire, hello. Mm -hmm. How are you? Good morning. Hi, Claire. So... Andrea wears many hats in this life, including a mother, a gallery owner, jewelry designer, artist, and author. But the one that she says goes to her core is that of a practitioner of the mystic arts. Andrea's learning began as a child with a family that nurtured all of her unique gifts in a tradition that combined the Italian ways with the Pacific Northwest pioneer life and Persian mysticism. The first lessons in the old ways took place in the garden where plants and their magical properties were passed down from one generation to the next. The language of gemstones is also part of an enduring tradition as Andrea was often swept away with the family in search of unusual gemstones and antique antiquities. Growing up with gem importers for parents and gemologists, grandfather, the songs and stories of each stone have been present since childhood. It is the deeply held belief that woven through the story, ancestral food, and connections to the land, the mystical life is one that is best when shared with others. This has led the, to the creation of a one-year course Andrea is teaching with Inner Alchemy Collective, delving into the ways uh, that we can work with the plant world as we would with our ancestors. Very interesting subject. And a shout out to... Uh, Dr. Jem Michael Salvato, our friend and our previous guest and brother, many blessings. And, uh, you know, we always wish you the best, my brother. Um, published works uh, from Andrea are The Curious Ways of the Windships, A Curious Spring Fever, The Curious Voyage of a Lost Soul. That one sounds very interesting. <laughs> Evolutionary. Air, The Curious Coloring Book. Fairy Forest. Oh, definitely another one. Interesting. The Curious Coloring Book. And this is this is a good one. Mermaid Lagoon. Okay, now we're talking my language. Okay. Uh, Andrea's education. She has a BA in foreign language from Seattle University and Université de Grenoble. A Bachelor of Science in Mathematics from Seattle University. Very interesting. Uh, postgraduate degree from, from Seattle Pacific University and language education. So for those that believe that uh, people who practice the mystic arts are strictly uh, people in the humanities or sociology, now we have a mathematician among us. Yes. So there we go. It's the balance. It's all about the That's balance. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, if anybody wants to reach Andrea, please visit her website at www.andreasavar.com. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much, Gianmichael. Gianmichael, he must be he must be talking about me right now. God, you know what? 
It's Saturday. I'm just not here yet. Gotta <laughs> get the coffee. Crack out the Java. That's it. <laughs> one pop. That's my problem. Not right? It's criminal. More Java. More Java. Saturday more. More Java. No, for sure. Okay. So let me start this again. Boom. Boom. Okay. Good morning to everybody and welcome, Andrea. I am so excited about having you here. Okay. And, and Jean-Jerome, once again, good morning and good morning to everybody. All right. So here we are. Okay. So what I want to do is start with, as Jean-Jerome um, Jean said, you are a person who wears many hats. And um, as a mother, a gallery owner, jewelry designer, and a practitioner in mystical arts. So I want to begin today to talk about your childhood. And if you can talk about that with us and share the uniqueness of your family and the mysticism that surrounds you to this day. Can sure. You start? I would love to. <laughs> well, I think, um, I, you know, I grew up in a very small town um, in the Pacific Northwest called Port Townsend. And the town kind of has its own very specific, very rich sense of place. It has its a very um, kind of interesting history and it's a Victorian seaport type of town, but it's very isolated. So it has three sides of water and nice. it's just, yeah, it has this incredible natural richness there. Really? Yeah. But we're, you know, isolated. So when I, and when I'm three generations from there on my mother's side, so the Italian side of the family, um, settled there and um, because of that that's where we kind of well, that's where we put down roots and in doing so we grew our gardens and we were very much part of the land and so how I grew up was in a Victorian house with wood as our only heat source our only cooking source my mother cooked on a wood stove <laughs> so you know cut her own wood, she did grill of our food, and there were shops in town like uh, dry food, dry goods at that time when I was little. There was, I think there was a butcher, um, but we did a lot of clamming, we did a lot of uh, foraging, so my mom baked all of our bread, like it was just very much a connection with the earth, and so I really grew up in that atmosphere of the garden and my grandparents had acreage and grew cherries and grew apples and pears and all kinds of different herbs and plants and they learned so much from other settlers that were there and the, the indigenous people that were there like we would gather seaweed that we would incorporate into the garden um, as mulch because it, it brings minerals the garden sphere, but it also had different um, spiritual aspects to it. So growing up in that, there was always this sense that the interconnection was very present. Like it wasn't, we weren't detached the way I think we are now in more modern spheres. Now that I live in the city, it's a little bit different. Um, so there was that connection of we all shared the same breath. You know, we all, everything was this continuum. And so you would feel that energetic continuum in everything. And also our town is 
kind of well known for having a lot of ghosts. <laughs> it's like people don't want to leave there. <laughs> I, no kidding. I wouldn't want to. It sounds beautiful. Oh, my God. It sounds magical. I love it. Perfect. Perfect for Teresa. Right? I was going to say, I'm coming over. <laughs> I know. And so I think for me, like growing up with that, I know my, my first experience with the spirit world, if you will, was around age three that I remember. And I just, um, I didn't understand that it was something different, that I, that I was seeing something that other people weren't experiencing in the same way. And so in our old house, um, this, you know, Victorian house in uptown, um, there was a parlor. And, you know, parlors, nobody ever uses parlors. <laughs> they just kind of sit there. It's only mm -hmm. when it comes over and we want to feel fancy, you know, you go in the parlor. So the parlor was always kind of dark. And right there was a doorway and on the other side of the parlor was more the living room space with the big you know wood stove and like with those doors that you pull back the, <laughs> the rolling doors. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and so my mom always left those doors open and i was always or often talking to um the man who lived in the parlor and um i called him fox and he was this very benevolent spirit that was there and I would always smell um tobacco smoke like pipe smoke whenever oh, was around so it was yeah. kind of there and so when I was three my my uncle and I'll I'm sure I'll talk about him later but um he had left a chess set in one of my mom like in one of the drawers but hadn't played it for years like I had never seen anyone play chess and Fox told me where to find the chessboard and so I brought it out and I sat right at that portion of the door where you're neither in or out you're just kind of in that little in-between space the liminal and so I set it there and he taught me how to set up the chessboard and so I set it out perfectly and my mom came in the room and saw me you know, with this perfectly set up chessboard, sitting on the light side of the door, talking to the dark <laughs> on the other side. <laughs> and she was like, you know, kind of got a little freaked out at first because she's like, is somebody in there? She thought it was an actual person at first. It was, you know, a living person. Oh, wow. And I said, no, I'm talking to Fox and Fox is going to teach me a game. And uh, so she like goes in, turns on the lights, checks the house because it was just me and her um, right. at that point and calls my grandfather and is like, come take a look around. Just make sure, you know, there's nobody lurking or anything. And when we, you know, it was confirmed that this was my spirit friend that I was speaking with. That's when she kind of and the rest of the family started going, OK, well, we need to guide her in right. how to experience Beautiful. Than how to work with this. So it wasn't something, but that was the moment that I realized there was another world. To me, it was yeah. just the same. You know, mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. was all the same. It's, it's as natural as this world. No, exactly. I totally agree with you. Yeah. There was no separation. And later, when I was researching my books, because my two first books are set in Port Townsend, and there's a lot of the history I was. Uh, in the archives doing a lot of research and um, just kind of it popped in my head I should check our street and see if there was anything about Adams Street 
and about someone named Fox. And the ladies at the archives helped me kind of dig. And there was a James Fox that lived at on our street, we couldn't pinpoint the house pinpoint the house because there were a couple that were kind of built at the same time. And he had committed suicide in the twenties after the crash. Um, so the yeah, the Great Depression. So um, it's quite likely exactly. But that's fascinating that you know James that Fox. you were able to do that and actually find that he yeah. existed. Yeah. Small town know. stuff. That's, you know, the nice thing amazing. is you can dig around and yeah, 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 no, for sure. What a what a confirmation though for you, you know, especially, you know, saying his name and finding all of that out. But what a beautiful story. Oh my god. You know what that reminds me of the uh TV series Charmed when they lived oh, in yeah. that big Victorian house. And it reminds me a little bit about the movie Practical Magic, right? You know, I the love two that. sisters living. Yes. <laughs> An ideal way to grow up. Good for you, Andrea. I think that's amazing. I think amazing. that was filmed here. Part of the practical magic was filmed here on Whidbey Island, which is just across from Port Townsend. So you take a ferry from Whidbey to downtown Port Townsend. But it's um, not a real house, unfortunately. They just built it for a set and took it down. But our house it's, is in like that. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I love that. I think that's, that's, that's amazing. So um, I'm going to take you from there to talking about your connection with the plant kingdom. And when did you first realize, I know, you know, you have a connection to spirit and being able to talk to them, but how did that translate to the plant kingdom? Um, can you take us through your journey and talk a little bit about, I know your grandmother had a lot of influence on you and teaching you those ways. So yes, if you can sort of take us through that, okay. I, I think it was kind of the same, pretty much the same time because just like the spirit world, um, the human spirits were just like breathing for me, like everything else. I felt the same way about the plants. Like they came to me in the same way that a person would come to me. So if you think about like I as a child, and there are child plants that are very specifically um, communicate really easily, I think, with children and with people in general, like dandelions, nasturtiums, um, tree, certain trees are incredibly welcoming, cherry trees especially. And since my Italian grandparents had the cherries, um, there was this, you know, cherries are connected to lifeblood. And um, there's this idea with cherry juice that when during certain magical workings, you can use cherry juice in place of lifeblood if that cherry tree is on if you've cultivated and cared for that cherry tree, because it has our same, um, we have this connection that's familial, that's ancestral. And so I think it was even just in that process of picking the cherries, canning them, going through this whole cycle that we do with our plants. Um, ingesting it, knowing that these things are sustaining us and we're sustaining them, that that kind of came, became, it was very fluid as a child. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't really pinpoint it or dissect it the way that I would now as an adult. I think when you're a child, and this is true for all children, all people, I think we all have this 
there's no special gift. It's just something we all have. And if it's nurtured, it grows. Um, but it's fluid. Like we are in that space. And the same thing with the rock. The same thing with... Yes. You know, I was even extremely, I think, uh, maybe a little bit too much this way when I was a child, but I felt it in like in everything. So even when I would make my bed, I would carefully put my pillows on the bed because I didn't want to make them feel bad if I threw them on the bed. Like I, <laughs> that's so cute. But <laughs> so there was a reverence for just right because you could feel the movements of it all right right and then later as I got older that's when you know when you're before the age of seven it's kind of this we think of it as this time when the child is still dreaming mm-hmm. so we should leave them in that dream state we should let them absorb be children. Yeah. Yeah, be children and not burden them with um too much of what the concrete world has become like they should still have that softness because Mm -hmm. they're integrating their spirit into this time and space absolutely from whatever past life from whatever they need to whatever their work is going to be at this particular time so there wasn't as much the teaching was subtle (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no no um, but then as I grew older, it manifested in the way we cook. And I started understanding, um, especially, and this is a little bit later when my mother remarried, and she married um, a Persian man, who my stepdad, who I love and adore, and they really adopted me as one of their own. Like there was no, my grandmother on that side would always say, you know, this we find family where the spirits bring us. Absolutely. So it's, I agree. I there agree. is blood, but there's also something more that connects us. And so she was the one who kind of broke things down a little bit more, like when you're rolling dolma, what that means. Because in Persian tradition, everything is rich with symbolism and so even something as simple as the action of picking a grape leaf has the spiritual symbolism. Or in uh, springtime, like around Noruz, which is our Persian New Year, we cook a, a noodle soup that's called Rashte, um, Ashashte, and it's uh, our Ash, is kind of more commonly called Ash, and it has all of these, yes all of the greens, so the symbols of the spring and vitality, but it also has these long kind of linguine noodles, Persian noodles, and they symbolize as you're eating them that each one is a road, your path on your spiritual path that is straightening and unwinding, so you're unraveling any complexities, any anything that you need to kind of unravel and let go of you're doing that with the middle. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, that's so magical. Really. <laughs> when it's like you so much. I'm going to start eating noodles in a different way. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. It really is. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, the Italians do a similar thing, but we do it with cord, and it goes back to the symbolism of the fates. Um, so we 
online or we not when we need to stick something. <laughs> Just... <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, no, for sure. So um, I wanted to ask you about your, so gathering all of this knowledge, and by the way, I'm entranced by your storytelling. I love that. It sounds beautiful. A wonderful way to grow up and, and to be able to be taught from your elders in a way that just brings all that magic together and weaves it together. You know, I seriously, I'm not going to eat noodles now in any other way than looking at them as unraveling of my road, my path, you know. My mother used to make her own pasta, right? Uh, growing up Polish, we, we were very much too to the land as well, but she used to make these kluski and they were these long things. They were like this, some of them were fat, whatever, but I'm now if I'm going to eat them and I do make them sometimes, I'm going to try it myself and I'm just going to be yeah. thinking of the road really, you know, I love that idea. That's, that's um, wonderful. And we do that in all the cooking. So for example, like anything that seems mundane, like peeling a potato or cutting up ginger or anything that might have sort of this idea of, oh, it's just a, a common task. All of those things can be made sacred. So when you're peeling a Absolutely. potato or cutting something like a root vegetable, you're actually grounding yourself when you're opening an onion and this is probably the most like symbolic that we I think everyone across cultures understands the layers of an onion so when you're cutting an onion you're peeling back anything that might be need to be revealed or something that is uh, bothersome like you can oh, you know cool. irritating to your eyes so you're, you're getting in there and you're kind of working with that and you're doing that not only on the physical manifestation but because you're bringing that energy to a pinpoint in that mm -hmm, and giving mm -hmm. it an anchor, you're also doing it in spirit world. So it's it's in tandem. Yeah. yeah. With intention, intention and purpose and focus. Exactly. And same thing with, you know, this crosses into so many things like dance, for example, is the same, it's a very similar action. You're moving your physical body because you're bringing in spirit. And so there's all these different aspects to that and how something that might seem um, purposeless, if you will. Or mundane. You bring purpose to it, you know, yeah. and focus, you know, and it becomes yeah. almost ritualistic yeah. and, and, and very present and aware. Yeah. You know, that I love. It sounds beautiful to me. <laughs> um, John Jerome, you look like you want to say something at this point, so I'm just going to let you interject here. Did no, you no, want no, to no, say no. something? No, 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 keep going. Keep, I don't want to break the – we're in a very oh. good okay. thing. <laughs> I was just saying intention, that they do it with a lot of intention. Yes, focus yes, and intention. And we do that with, so when we're planting plants, we do the same, the same thing. And I think for me too, like now that my grandparents have both passed on, um, sometimes there's this feeling of, uh, but I still, you know, work with them on a, the spirit level. But yes. when you think about where, what are my other ancestors? And I think this was kind of one of the things that led me to design this course and kind of dive a little deeper in it was I was seeing so many people that were feeling really disconnected from not just their human ancestors, but the earth itself and the earth, the ancestors. And 
or maybe not having or having human ancestors that maybe were troubling like there were things that were connecting with them like they were having a hard time because of trauma and that trauma healed but in the interim we have the plants as our wisdom holders and our ancestors and they're here to help i think they're here to help more than anyone <laughs> you know they have no other um intention other than being part of our interconnection so very present being very present very, and, and, yeah and so looking to them as another line of our ancestors opens up a whole realm of possibility of um work. exchange and work and communion that i think has sort of been overlooked in our modern societies I I agree. I totally agree. No, for sure. Um, I wanted to to ask you, sorry, I, I got carried away with listening to you and I forgot about my questions here. Fascinating. I love this. Um, with with your connection with the plant kingdom, the plant people, as I like to call them. Um, the, the, yes, and thank you, Claire. Awesome. I feel your vibes. Yes, my Claire does feel vibes. And my girl. Um, I wanted to ask you about your course that you are developing um, with Inner Alchemy. That's yeah. the uh, the Inner Alchemy Collective. This is part of the, uh, the, the show or that you're a co-host. First of all, I just want to establish that you're a co-host with Gian Michael on Masca and the Mystic. Okay. And um, you also have developed this uh, collective called Inner Alchemy. And so I want to talk a little bit about the course that you have put together and um, to tell us about how you're able to present this course. I think it's a year long. Isn't that what it is? Yeah. And you can jump yeah. in any time. Like it's one of those ones where it's on demand. So it's not, um, you don't have to be. If you There's no beginning or no whatever. You just keep keep going yeah sounds wonderful so i wanted to ask you about there are obviously there's teachable ways and practices yeah. now do you do something on a daily basis that keeps you so connected to the plant kingdom that you're able to let's say teach those steps or those teachable ways yeah i mean it is pretty much a way of life for me so i don't really have I, every day has some type of working that involves the plant world. And that comes, now now is a quieter time because we're in the winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. So the garden isn't necessarily where I'm going to be doing most of my work. Whereas in the spring, summer, fall, I'm out there every day. And my parents have a small um, herb farm, uh, flower and herb farm, uh, just 12 minutes from where we live. So we're always kind of over the farm. Because of COVID, we are all distant. They stay on the porch and we're, you know, in the garden part and in the wetlands. But um, hopefully, you know, as time goes on, we can all be working again kind of in the same space. But we are, so for us, it's this, uh, there's all of the rituals of just the garden. But I don't want people to feel like if they don't have a garden that they can't do this because these are things you also do in inside, especially winter, like the last, um, that I just finished up was for February, and I tie in a lot of the the ways that we look at Lupercalia, um, which is, was on the 15th of February, but there's a lead up to it that starts with the last moon 
in January which is the Roman ancient Roman tradition but there's um, there are a lot of symbols that kind of work as work with that particular tradition that also connect to the land and so when I taught that particular module it was more about understanding what things in our lives need to be called need to be removed because that's a lot of what the wolves do and you know in a forest situation they're the ones the deer population, which also are a menace for the plant population. So it kind of becomes this big circle of life and how everything is interconnected in that way and how we incorporate that into our lives and work. And so I have, that one was kind of a specific month where I did more of winter, um, things you can do in your personal life inside, bringing certain things to the indoors like aloe vera, um, violets, like absolute violets, plants that have incredible healing presence, especially in the dark right. that you can right. grow And just having them near you has its own benefits and mutual benefits. So it's not just a one-way kind of street. Right. But I, I started the class initially earlier in the year because, you know, John Michael and I were just chatting on, you know, personally, just on our own time. <laughs> and um, we were talking about different plants and our, you know, the Italian ways and, and kind of working through some of those things and just, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to do some little tutorials, just like five minute little things I'm just going to put up on my Facebook about what's popping up in the garden because it was that early spring. We were in quarantine. Now, you know, right. that was. And because we're in Washington State in Seattle, we were one of the first places that had one of the first cases of COVID. So we um, we oh, shut down immediately, and I could feel people obviously distressed. It was extremely difficult to be locked away, and I really like I need to do something so people know they're not alone. Like this, not alone in the world, even if they're away from humans. They are surrounded by other benevolent, loving spirits. And and spirits, yeah. Exactly. And so I went out in the garden, and I think the first one I did, um, I can't, oh, I had the dandelion because they were just popping up. And I wanted to show how dandelion is one of those plants, it's spirits that is playful, incredible. Yeah beneficial for your physical system but also your spiritual path because they take you back to childhood they're one of those plants that you know parents don't care if you go pick a million dandelions yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they're hardy and strong and so they have perseverance ingrained into their species and so when you're picking that and when you're ingesting as long as it's in an untreated area of course the leaves become like they look like little spears, or in French, you know, it comes from the lion, which is lion tooth. Okay. <laughs> they they become a way for you to be a warrior in your life, to persevere, to remain strong, to nice. strengthen your body, your spirit, your mind, and so they they are an ally in that. And just taking a moment to just with a nice dandelion. 
So I started oh, doing those just randomly and weird plants, like not just dandelions, but plants that people think are weeds and they ignore, but have mm -hmm. benefits if you incorporate them into your diet. So things mm -hmm. like chickweed or um, purple dead nettle, we use purple dead nettle for pesto in the early spring before we can have basil. And it has all these incredible properties. So I started doing it that way, just as a way to yeah. share comfort. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's so beautiful. Just those simple things. And it's true, because when you think about weeds, you go out there and, and you, <laughs> in the crack of, of, of cement uh, sidewalk, there's this little tiny plant that just survives and it's strong and it comes through. You, know? you have to admire it. You really have to. You know, admire that spirit that it has. Good exactly. for you. Oh my God. And then, I, 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 this is amazing. This course sounds really beautiful because you take it through the different seasons and anyone can just kind of jump in and join, right? Exactly. And like January, I started off with the introduction, but the introduction was um, I focused on two specific plants that are really important to both of the traditions that I'm kind of most ingrained in, in my life. So the Persian and the Italian, and the mm -hmm. Italian was the olive, olive yes. tree. And I call it grandfather olive and how to connect with grandfather olive tree. And then on the Persian side, it was grandmother pomegranate. And grandmother soy? I didn't oh catch that. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh pomegranate, yes. Pomegranate. Right. And so I go through, you know, in my, uh, lecture, there's a lecture portion where I go through the history, like where, why these plants are important to human civilization, but then I break it down into what the spirits are and how we work with them in everything from a, a journeying way to in our daily life. And then I put in extra portions that will be recipes, spells. Um, I teach how to make incense with the pomegranate peels. I do um, how to make a pomegranate scrub for your face with olive oil. And then of course, um, I think the last one I wrote something a little more on the mystical side of things, which was the connection that um, St. Francis of Assisi had with the olive tree and how that kind of was woven. And not in a religious aspect, but in a mystical. Right. All, all traditions. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely people forget that you know um when we talk about working with saints um that it's it's strictly a catholic belief system or something but it isn't if you look beyond and look to what the saint represents or what you know um yeah. that link we can have regardless of our belief systems right so exactly. no it sounds no it sounds amazing though that's so nice i like the way you incorporate all of that you know, into this. So if someone were to be interested in this course, where would they go to be able to sign up for this? The best thing is um, I will go, I'll give you guys a link too that we can maybe put up because I think there's a specific link that you can use to get on and you can have seven days free to kind of go through the whole um, platform because it's not just my class. You actually, by joining it, it's, it's like a, a social media platform. And so you can have your own little page. You have, um, I have a group of my own plus the course material. So you can join my group and I post things about plants 
very, very often, um, you know, articles, things I write, things other people write, um, medicinal information, but there's also other amazing practitioners that are part of this collective, like Jim Sayers, and he has his own course on herbal allies as well. Um, of course, John Michael, there's the 26 weeks yes. course, which is fabulous. Um, and there are other um, courses that are being added. There's a course that um, Dominic uh, um, also does that is about um, African traditional religion. And then there's, um, um, I think he's gonna actually, I think he's gonna also be doing a tarot club, like a course on tarot. So it's, there's a lot happening there and we're just mm -hmm. starting it. So I know it, it's growing, but it's still very, um, it's very intimate still. It's a really neat group of people. It's a, and the people that are on there, I feel like there's this openness, this really um, genuine desire to learn and share. And there's no gatekeeping stuff. There's, this is open to all religions, all traditions, all paths. Mm -hmm. We wanted to create a place of support and not a place mm -hmm. of, you know, breaking people down and putting them in boxes. So you can, and you can pop in, I think, for free for seven days and just check it out. See if it's, if it's your, something that interests you or you feel connected there. And then after that, it's $49 a month and that gives you access to everything. And more classes. So. Yes, yes. I remember Jim and Michael um, asking me <laughs> And I'm thinking about it. I definitely am. I know. So, we would love sounds, to have both of you teach courses yeah, on there. No. And I think there's I, going to be a class on Catholic Conjure. Oh, and Adam. Oh, my goodness. How could I forget? Adam uh, Darkly is amazing. And he does a whole class on Hoodoo, which is on. Is this Adam? Yeah, Adam Conjure. Adam Adam Conjure. Yes, yes. He's a sweet guy. I really, oh, really I love, love him too. I can, yeah, I can Adam, make such a connection to him too. He's wonderful. Too. Yeah. Adam, if you're watching, I have a little like spirit crush. <laughs> <laughs> you too? Okay, I know. I have a bunch of spirit crushes on a few of our guests and that. He's kind of like my cutie too. <laughs> But his class is amazing, and it goes through yeah. just—it's—it's it's really, really, really good. So I'm—I'm I'm taking his class because I love it. Um, so yeah, so that's so it's a very welcome one. Yeah, no, it sounds wonderful. I love that. And, and you know, at some point in time, definitely, I think I'll join. Um, sorry, I have my dog here. He's kind of in that mode of being protective or whatever, but. Right, Zola? Anyway, um, so yes, I love this. It sounds wonderful. And uh, so anybody who's listening, please um, do, you know, you know connect I'm with uh, Andrea or with yeah. uh, what we have. John Jerome, can you put something like us on StreamYard to uh, to connect? Yeah, I will. Or, or later, I mean, anybody can, can go on our page. They can always PM me on Facebook or send an email and I'll send the link um, on my Facebook page. And I've been doing this on my personal page. I think I'm going to start kind of the secondary one later. That's a group that just talks about plants. Um, but I put up those little tutorials still that are just free. I mean, you can just, yeah. the whole point was to create that, um, that connection for people. Mm -hmm. So 
they're on there and you're welcome to follow my page. I, yeah, I think uh, the last one I did was chick lead and I'm probably going to do one pretty soon about either Feverfew or Angelica because they're, they're still nice. in the garden. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And jean we have got, yes, right. Exactly. Oh, well, I follow you, Andrea, obviously, <laughs> and, and I love, and I, I have to say, I, I'm enthralled with the things that you do with your little girl, okay? It's, it's very cute. I watch her, and do you know what? She kind of reminds me what you probably would have been like as a child. Okay? That's what I, I'm always thinking. Every time I watch her, I, I feel like I'm watching you as a little girl, too. Very, She's very a strange. lot more she's got a lot more fire. Like I was very connected to water, the element water yeah. and earth. And so for me, I was very oh. dreamy, like kind of in my own world, very much like if you took me to the beach, I would just sit at the water's edge for hours or get in. I like, I wouldn't, there was that. She's got a lot of the fire, like my mother. Yeah, <laughs> it's, all, it's all fire. <laughs> Fire and air. I call her the magical uh, nuclear option when things need to get done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. She's very, very cute. So, okay, I love, I, I think this is wonderful. And, and I encourage everybody to be able to, to tune in to Andrea and definitely make a link there. Uh, I know I'm interested for sure. Um, so I'm going to ask um, another question about your books, because I know that you are an author of a few books. And I wanted to talk briefly about the books you've written and what you're at your inspiration was for these books. Um, the first one, The Curious, what is it? The Curious of the Windships. Curious what Ways of the Windships. Well, Curious um, Ways us, of the Windships. Because we don't really have a name for the Italian side. There is no name for the practice. It's called the unnamed path. So we don't call ourselves witches. The outside world most definitely has and does. But it's not, and I have nothing, no problem with that word. If anything, I think probably my generation will be the one and my daughters too. That brings it back. Yeah. But that wasn't the word that they would have used um, in our past. So um, the, we could just call it the ways. So it was just like, oh, well, those are just, you know, the things that we do. Those are just Right. And it was uh, the path, if you will. So The Curious Ways of the Windships, the first book, is very autobiographical, but I had to I had to make it fiction. I couldn't just, at that time when I wrote the first one, right. back in like yeah. 2012, I wasn't ready yet to be completely transparent with uh, just the things that we do and how we are. And I think... Fiction. I get that, yeah. <laughs> and I think fiction was this incredible vehicle, as storytelling is, to connect with people on many different levels. So people who have that um, spiritual knowledge will recognize certain things. People who are not at all interested in spirituality will still be able to read it and enjoy it and become part of the story. And I feel like I wanted it to be as accessible as possible. And so I chose that format. And it also helped me with dates and I could change names that I needed to. And But there's probably 70 to 80% of the book that are completely like autobiographical and really, really close. You. 
well, my family, yeah. because it's multi-generational in the book. So yeah. Yeah. it's not just there's the young character who's the main character, but you get her mother, her grandmother, um, her great-grandmother, and then the people in the town, from the young children to the elders, like there's a community. And I felt like I needed to show that interconnection. We aren't ourselves alone on an island. We have all of these connections and all of these things working together. And then I wove in all the elements because that's a very important part of how we work. So kind of reiterating how almost each person is sort of born with a connection to one or multiple elements that have kind of become an elemental. Um, so there's kind of that portion and and just the subtle ways that we bring in the different spirit work. But the first book is based largely on my uncle. Um, Yes, um, from a young person's point of view. So this wasn't really from a, this is from a 20 year old perspective in the main character. I'm working on the fifth book right now, which will be in his voice, which really will be a much different experience. But I just, at that time in my life, I had these very clear messages that I should write this book. And it kind of came from a trip to Port Townsend um, with some friends of mine that are musicians and they were playing a concert there and we were just, I'm like, okay, if you're going to go play there, they were on tour and I'm like, I'll go and give you the official ghost tour, <laughs> if you will, of my hometown. And so we went along for the weekend and, um, and I was just, as I was telling them, oh yeah, this is, you know, the house that Captain, you know, Cook built. This is, you know, all these different places and talking about the different metaphysical or the uh, paranormal aspects that were incorporated into each part of town and the historical aspects. I um, was thinking, you know, my family's been a part of this for three generations and we have this generational knowledge of this land. I would love to kind of find a way to share that story. And so it slowly came. And with my uncle, who was a very interesting person, I um, a practitioner very much in his own, uh, very powerful in his own ways. He was also very um, uh, burdened, I think, by some of that and had to work through a lot of that in his youth. So his story culminated in an, a, a death that was in a car accident. And I it felt like a very sudden, very early death for us. And um, mm -hmm. I feel like to go back and give him a way to live a little bit longer in a different facet. And so mm -hmm. was his part of the story, but in a way that was veiled enough where <laughs> it wasn't going to upset anybody. Um, and so that's kind of how that came through. And so a lot of it was when I write, I am, you know, listening to right. Right. what the family saying from the other side. And that really became incorporated into the first book. So there's there's a lot of that mystery there. And then the, <laughs> the second had some interesting things. I wrote it in 2013, but um, just recently when I, a friend of mine, right in, when the beginning of the pandemic uh, happened and I 
I looked back, it's about a plague that happens 100 years apart. And um, it happens on the, it's a fever plague, and it happens on um, a leap year uh, in the, <laughs> there's this whole connection to rats. And there's, of course, last year was the year of the rats, and it was a leap year. <laughs> <laughs> there were a bunch of other elements that came in there that were a little frightening when I, you know, it's always hindsight is 2020. <laughs> when you look at the when you yeah, look at the, it's like, oh, oh, <laughs> I see what was happening here. <laughs> Very pathetic in a way, too, when you think about was, it. And I wrote that one in three months. It was the fastest novel I've ever written. It was the most complex because I had to bounce between these two hundred uh, year legs and um it was just kind of interesting how they paralleled and then they paralleled again what was happening in 2019 so it was kind of interesting to look back on it that one definitely i felt like didn't even come from me it just came from, you know? no kidding and that's that's the one that's called a cure a curious spring, spring fever, fever. Yeah. right right Interesting. Very, very interesting. I love that. I love the way it, your, your story is interweaved with your own, your own personal autobiography, you know, and, and your family life. And, and again, it, it incorporates that uniqueness that you grew up with. Yeah. Very and important. I love the third that. one, which is kind of goes to, it's set in France. And I lived in France for a decade and my husband is French. And so, you know, I probably speak more French on a daily basis than I do English. Yes, um, I know you speak to Violette, your daughter. And, yeah, that one, and that one's called The Curious Voyage of a Lost Soul, right? Exactly. Okay. And that has a lot to do with uh, soul reclaiming, but also some of the older traditions. I studied in the Alps where I lived. Um, and in the Alps where I lived, I lived in Voiron and Granada, and Voiron and Saint-Pierre-Chartreuse are really interesting parts of the Alps because there's a medicinal plant kind of community there um, that goes all the way back to the Pierre-Chartreuse, the um, monks that live in, in that same town. And um, they have an elixir that's called Chartreuse, which I think most people are, are familiar with the alcohol the Sharpless alcohol. Um, it's a green. Not, oh, we love yes, it. Yes, no, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. It's kind of like it's Sharpless. Like yeah. Really good. Um, and they make, uh, in addition to the alcohol, there's actually a remedy that is made. And it goes back to when St. Bruno came to the mountains. But there's all of this lore around it that has to do with ISIS. And, and her presence in the Alps and her presence in Paris and how it is interwoven into the land there to be this connection with the wolves that were there. So that is what I really try to incorporate. And we have very much these same traditions in the Italian ways. And my Italian family is also from the mountains and from the Dolomites northern Italy. And so there's this connection to the wolves, to the Black Madonna, to um, the way right. they worked with the plants as an intermediary, as a way to heal um, some of the sacred books that were brought to that area. And 
also how certain plants that grow there are thought to be part of an elixir of life, but also an elixir of transformation. And that could be shape-shifting. We don't know. <laughs> there's a lot of aspects to that. But there's like Mark Robert, that's one of them. There's, and I talk about Burp Robert on one of my tutorials. Um, oh, and yeah, and that kind of connection there. But there's, so that's what the third book is actually set in France and is much more focused on the old, um, the ways and the Alps. But, you know, living there for that Interesting. Long, able to connect there too. <laughs> Oh my God, that sounds fascinating, beautiful. What a lovely life story. And to bring that to to books, you know, like, yeah, I have to read them. Okay. <laughs> and then we have, and then we have your other book called Evolutionarium. That and one, yeah. it's a short now, book. <laughs> sorry? It's a short little novella. I don't know if you've read that one. No, no, no. I di I didn't read that one, but I know you had sent me a connection to. But I I briefly did. But can you sort of tell us like how, why that element in particular? Here? That one came really strong, like that particular series, and that will be a, a series um, of five small novellas. So the first one is Air, Air, and that's the one that's already um, published, the Evolutionary of Air. I think eventually I'm just going to publish like one book with all of them in it, um, just make it you know, like a, a volume. But it's um, it's set in a timeless place, obviously on Earth, but there's the great change has happened in this particular book. I believe that we call it the great change. And the other ones will be like the great wave will be part of the water book and the great fire or the fire book. And so there's all of these different elements, but it's about our connection to the earth, our connection to the elementals, but how we are needing to adapt and shift and become more conscious. Um, it also, it's a very simple book from the outside. Like it looks like it would be almost a children's book because I put a little, I illustrated it with very simple black and white drawings. And so this first one is about a little boy named Jasper who is just born into, and it doesn't quite understand him. And he's um, feeling this evolution happening all around him it has to do with like there's the way I write it is if you look at all the different details there's details of birds in everything so you know he likes eating grasshoppers he likes it's like a delicacy there's this in my mind it's set in Hong Kong or in Japan um in one of those high rises like if you go to Hong Kong you know you see the high rises and they have or especially in Calhoun when you're you know going there it's um there's all of these homes and you see this interaction and it almost reminds me of sort of like a, a multi-level chicken coop. Like it has that kind of feel to it when we're enclosed, but we're still kind of yes. and moving. And, and I love Hong Kong, by the way. And that's one of my places. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it there. But there's this energy that kind of happens and it's how we've become yeah, so connected. It's very hustle and bustle, but we've become almost so disconnected that we don't even see how we are um, 
using a type of biomimicry almost animal species or different plant species and how we are part of this, we're not separate. So there's, um, yeah, this whole uh, interconnection. I don't want to give anything away because there's a little mystery in it. <laughs> but I think yeah, yeah. there's mathematical aspects too. And then I put in, in some of the little drawings, you'll see like, um, there's a little candle and it has the uh, equation for flight that kind of moves up into the ether. So there's all nice. this air that kind of come through. And, and then uh, that thread of little, mysticism. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one, I'm writing them all kind of in tandem, but there's um, Earth is in Alaska, and it's about a little girl named Ivy who was born with a radish where her heart should be. Um, <laughs> and she's okay. so cute. And then there's uh, the water one. It's a little girl named Mercuria, and it's in somewhere in the South Pacific. I'm thinking it feels very Tahiti, Bora Bora, and she's there. And um, there's been a tsunami, and they're at the very top of the mountain now, which is where her grandmother survived the tsunami by being right. called by spirit to go to the top of the mountain. And um, her grandmother's like this barnacle that just sits there and has a shell house and <laughs> there's all these aspects of that. So it's, it's and then fire is set in Vegas, <laughs> which, yeah, Las Vegas. And uh, there's this problem with human and there, combustion. <laughs> and there we have. Oh, yeah. And yeah, there's all the links all the books are on Amazon. The two last ones are coloring books um, because I have a small child and we love to color. I was going to say, the connection <laughs> is to your motherhood, right? And being able to, to teach her through mm -hmm. color and, color and bring these characters, the, for, the, the fairies of the forest, the mermaid. And so, yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> I love so that. And those are for adults and children. They're for any age. You can color away. I have coloring books. Um, I've colored, and I still like coloring. Sometimes it's just being able to just sit there and just kind of let your mind drift while you know you're taking mm -hmm. color and. That's one of my paintings. Color so to those are my little illustrations, the paintings. Yes. Nice. So, okay, so um, I'm just going to move along to your jewelry. Um, I love watching your jewelry and how you make your jewelry. There are so many pieces where I go, I want that one. No, that one. And then it's like, and then the next day you show something else and I go, okay, so if I had to have a choice, would it be that? And I, I actually go back to the other ones, to the other um, jewelry pieces, right? And I go, oh my God, so which one would I really, really want? So can you tell us a little bit about what inspires you? I mean, obviously sure. I think it would be nature and everything, but each one is so unique and where you actually get your pieces. So if you could just give us a, um, you know, well, a little bit about that. My parents were um, Jen, Arjun and Jen I grew up in that, in a family where we had a strong connection with um, not only the plants, but when my mom remarried and moved to the city with my dad, we would travel and go all over the world to find specimens. Find um, in the beginning, it was actually we were doing more um, 
we were following some of my dad's leads in the Middle East, so it was more in Pakistan and Afghanistan. This is obviously before the current wars, and it's kind of go there really, and um, bringing back a lot of tribal pieces, and then it kind of shifted as we couldn't go to those places anymore. Um, right it was too dangerous. We were going more to Indonesia or um, Hong Kong, Thailand. And we found our Nepal. My parents have spent a considerable amount of time in Nepal and in Tibet. And they were, my dad is very much, even though his family is, you know, Persian or Persian Western, he is uh, very drawn to the Buddhist religion. That's something that's been very important for him. So um, he built relationships. My parents relationships with the people there who were carvers, who were finding these stones, a lot of antique or vintage specimens. So we're not really, we try to find the finding aspects that occur. My metals, I recycle them. So I tend to, like, as I work on these, I melt and then reform into something new. So I'm, I'm not, I don't feel at this time we should be debating the way that we are. And my parents, thankfully, very much felt the same way. But because people in those particular parts of the world are dependent on um, that interconnection, we the best way to do that is to build relationships with people. And some of those relationships have lasted you know, 30, 40 years for my parents, the same families where the carving traditions or the cutting traditions. My dad is also a gem cutter, so he, he cuts a lot of the stones down for me. Um, but those traditions are taught and passed down within those families. So we're, we're having that connection with them that is multi-generational now. So I can call up, you know, our friend Guy in Nepal and say, hey, you know, how are you guys doing? Do you have any of these carvings or could you make them? And so there's this, you know, connection there. Um, my dad recently right. found a specimen of agar wood. I don't know if you're familiar with that, agar wood. It's an yeah. um, old specimen. This is before the pandemic. He took it to Indonesia and to his friends there that are carvers. And we just got a box this past week, my parents did, of um, the carvings that they did. But any excess, so anything that was left over from the carvings, they made into incense cones. For us, so we purchased the incense. So there's no waste, yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to find schools that had very similar spiritual connections and traditions. So we knew that even though we have, there is going to be some impact. You can't live in this world without impacting it. The important thing is doing something in the return to hopefully balance that. Right. And so. Well, all my students have come from those travels. I use a ton of vintage pieces. And then when I, you know, I would go to the Brocons, you know, the flea market, and I would find interesting elements. Like this one is from Italy, but it's like, well, this is the Mano Grosso. It's the protection. Um, right, right, the horn. But, the... but it's, um, it's 150 years old. So I would use these things that are antiques and reincorporate them. And then my husband and I have our own store and our own business that is um, that is actually um, 
based on French antiques and European antiques. And so our gallery here at Edmonds in Washington has a combination of my art, local art, handmade, um, and then French and Italian and English antiques, but nothing is mass produced. Nice. So that that's what your gallery is about, is, yeah. is incorporating up. Beautiful. Fascinating. Too. So I'll have our, like my parents when we in the spring or the summer, I bring in bouquets. And this is when we're, we're kind of in a weird time. So we're not open right now. We're doing like by appointment. But I'm hoping in the spring we can reopen a little more easily. Um, but it's, uh, we're definitely, um, it, we bring in the fresh flowers. I make bouquets. So oh, when do I find the time? I don't sleep very much. I've got a little person too. So. <laughs> I know. I I know Andrea. I I see you posting in that because you know I don't sleep that much either, right? But I think that's just part of you know what we do, right? You find that time when you're yeah. that connected. You find that time. You make that time, right? And I think when it's something that you love and it's something that feels purposeful. It doesn't really feel like work in the same way that other things do. It becomes, it becomes a practice and a habit and a way of moving in the world. A way of a way of life. No, definitely. Yeah. Well, to me, it sounds like a charmed life, and I love it. I really do. And Andrea, you are a delight, and I know that other people who are tuning in are just getting right into you just by the comments that I'm seeing. So. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to interview this before I hand it over to Jean-Jerome, who I know is itching to ask you a few questions. We don't want to keep you too much away from, I know you've got. And you I'm know, just checking phone. my, I'm just going to check my battery real quick on here. I might need to go right. grab a little, plug. do you mind if I grab my little, I sure. think it's okay. It looks like it's okay. Should be fine. It's supposed to have okay. like two hours on there. Three I was hours. just going to say my battery too, but I, I'm, I, I think I'm good. I'm down to 20%, so I'm okay. Because <laughs> I don't want Violette to see me because then she'll be like, <laughs> yeah. Then she'll snag you. I'm playing with her dad right now, so I'm just like, no. That. That's good. That's good. Well, sure that's good. good. <laughs> so, so Rome, did you want to ask so, Andrea? So it's a fascinating journey uh, through, you know, the different aspects. I mean, and the emphasis on, you know, the plants, the the, the concepts of plants as being ancestors and so, and mm -hmm. another spirit ally, living, breathing spirit ally, mm -hmm. uh, other than human spirits and, and so forth that we typically um, sort of equate to. Uh, also notice um, just some themes I've picked out and then lead to my question. Another thing very important, I noticed that in your practice, from what you describe, there is a there's a a very strong awareness or consciousness of the four four elements, primary elements, yeah, five, yeah plus and the five, right, and the fifth as well. Uh, some in some cultures they define the fifth as metal, being a combination. Others define it differently. They define it as almost a spiritual element or uh, the unseen element. Um, so in, so in that respect, how do you, what is the fifth, you know, let's talk about what is the fifth element in, in your practice, in your life experience, but also if you trace back to 
your the Italian part of your heritage, and also very interestingly the Persian and the Persian mystic mm-hmm. of your of your, which may, maybe uh, people that are tuning in, you know, as we were talking before the show, uh, you you talk about Persian, you talk about Iranian or Iran because of the imposition of Islam and the Ayatollah system in 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 in, in Iran. Uh, and to some extent, the suppression of other belief systems and 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 religious and spiritual expression, but not but keeping in mind that uh, you know Persia is is the birthplace of many things, including many aspects of mysticism, one of the oldest oldest uh, monotheistic religions, Zoroastrianism, and uh, you know also there's the Baha'i faith. There's many many you know uh, nuggets or gems if, uh, to use. To use a, a, a you know something that sort of matches with our discourse, many gems or jewels of uh, of wisdom, pearls within the Persian. So, how do you again take a little bit through sure. that aspect of, uh, for instance, from the Italian side, from what you were, you were taught and growing up, and from the Persian side, how they look at the the really those concept development? Because just as a preface as well, within Vodun, uh, the and even within Fa. It is said, really, that Fa is really governed or sort of divvied up by looking at the different elements, yeah. right? Many within the aspect of Jodoa, Jodoa is associated with many elements. Within Ifa Orisa practice, the various Orisha are, again, associated with different elements. Mm-hmm. Within Vodun practice, uh, they, they definitely emphasize five elements. And have divinity, primordial divinities, which which encompass that, like for Earth, Sakpata, for uh, you know the the fire, Hevioso, for the air, Segbolisa, for the water uh, variation, either Agbe or uh, Mamewata. Um, so when you look at those different aspects, uh, and then for the metal, the, what they call the fifth element, which is the fusion, the creativity, the innovation. And really, the, the the precursor, right, to, to the genital explosion of humanity, is Vodungu, which is the metal, right? And those same elements and those same sort of division, although not as emphasized, sometimes within the Yoruba Ifa side, are present, right? right? And in many things regarding Ifa, you know, uh, especially when you're offering to the elementals, right? Mm-hmm. Or which many people within Ifa don't speak in those terms but really many ways they are offering to oh. elementals to this to the you know difference in stars of the nature um how does that work or how were you taught from those two sides i'm gonna say i'm gonna say pause because it did come up on my battery i'm so sorry okay, no let worries. me grab my cord i don't want it to cut out let me grab it i'll be right back. no worries okay. no worries and jean jerome i was just gonna say the same thing i'm just gonna um I'm going to press my button at the back here, okay, of my battery pack. So just give me a sec. Take your time. All right. All right. So fascinating. Andrea Savar is a very fascinating person, and I'm so glad I was able to get her to come on the show. I asked her last year, but she couldn't make it. So I thought, well, definitely this year I want her on the show. And of course, you know, lucky me, I was able to go on um, John Michaels and Andrea's show, uh, Masca and the Mystic. And, uh, and 
you and I both too. So that was that was a nice little treat. And here's Andrea. Andrea, I had Sorry, to do guys, the same I thing. Just, I, I didn't want it to cut off in the middle. <laughs> so not a problem. And it's so funny. I just did that and my light went off. I don't know. <laughs> so um, this is a fascinating question and one that I thought about a lot, especially when I was writing the first book, because the elementals are such a big mm -hmm. part of it. Um, for the Italian tradition, we do five. And the fifth one is ether. So it's going to be okay, exactly. the spirit. And ether also, we call it sometimes pneuma, which is sort of the breath, um, the breath of life, the breath of spirit that in, encapsulates all of them, all of the different elements. And so when I'm working, I'm just going to catch my breath because I like bolted. Speaking of breath, I'm like, <laughs> Taking some of that air element. Taking some of that air element yeah. right now. To work out a little yeah. more here. This <laughs> your quarantine has taken a toll. Um, oh, so, <clears throat> so yes, yeah, so one of the ways that we work with those particular elements is each person is when they're born is um, connected to usually at least one element, but oftentimes more. And then there are people who are like my uncle, who has a connection to all five and very a much stronger connection to fire more than anything. But he had this sort of way of connecting to all five elements where you almost embody those elements. Mm -hmm. So when you're working, like, mm -hmm. for example, when you're doing any type of um, healing work, we also, you know, the plants are also associated with different elements. And so when we are doing um, certain types of, like, for example, I'm trying to think of a good one, but um, solar type of work that mm -hmm. has to do with fire, we'll bring in plants that are like chamomile or which actually is kind of funny because it has a double it's water and fire um mm -hmm. <clears throat> use those things to balance whatever workings we're doing in the tradition in the persian tradition it's a little bit different and <clears throat> i've talked about this with john michael sometimes too there's while we have all the elements there's this aspect of the north and the south and the north holds um earth, water, um, <clears throat> kind of combined, I believe, metal. There's also that element that's kind of mixed in there. We don't really talk about it as often. It seems to be kind of um, <clears throat> almost this idea of when you combine that with the southern elements, which are going to be the fire and the air, <clears throat> that they kind of commune and they create this middle element. The, the thing with the Persians, too, at least from what I learned in my family, and um, this could be just specific, too, to my family, there was this strong idea of a monotheistic um, creative source energy. But then mm -hmm. there are all of the spirits that work around that. So there's a big connection to the jinn, the jinnaya, and, <clears throat> and mm -hmm. how they are our fire workings they are our air they come on the air so when the wind comes when we're working with different energies and we're bringing in air we're bringing in the jinnaya the jinn 
and they're healers. I mean, there's 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 a lot of negative connotations that are kind of surrounding Absolutely. them. Yeah. Um, but they are very much spirits that we work with. There's the house gin, there's the um, gin of place. Of there's different hierarchies kind of within that, and um, there are different elements that we'll use if we need particular workings done. Like amber is one of those ones that, and not not the perfume amber, but actual like gemstone amber that we break down to burn mm -hmm. um, to, into a powder. Yes, exactly. Slavic people use that as an incense yeah. to connect and it with is, ancestors. And it is, that particular, they love, they love it. They love the smell. There's not much of a smell, actually. It has a very specific kind of. It does. Yeah, it's hard to explain. It's it's not perfumey like the way you would think of amber perfume. No, but anyway, no. elementals. The way that we work with them is very similar. I feel like the Italians and the Persians, even though the way that they're described might be slightly different, our actual practices kind of overlap. So when we're calling in, like my grandmother would use the same plants that my Italian grandmother would to do some of the same workings. And they didn't, um, we only knew each other a very short time because my Italian grandmother passed away and my, and my Persian grandmother lived until just a few years ago. So she was on this planet until she was 94. Um, wow. Yeah, and so um, the ways that, for example, rue, I think is an excellent plant to kind of connect the two traditions. We have the Rutamatra, um, which is the, the mother rue, the rue that we, the Italians use for the most part. Um, and then there's the Persian rue, which is Esfans, which is wild rue. And it's um, kind of almost a, a masculine type of energy that comes with the Persian okay. rue. Okay. And the Italian rue is a very feminine, motherly aspect of oh, rue. Nice. But we use them in the same way to often ward or to clear out negative energy or to protect from the evil eye or to just really help move energy out that we no longer need in our sphere. And we do all of that with fires. So we bring in the fire element when we're working with Rue, for example, the Esfand. And finally, the, in Persian, in Farsi, uh, Jin is what we would say for the Jin. But there's also another word for them is Rue. So we, the same word as the plant. And um, because oh. there's this connection there with it will move them on the air or will bring them in. It can call them or it can move them back out. So there's, am I explaining this right? I just want to clarify the, the name because yeah. because of a little bit of a transmission delay, the, the name yeah. of the root that, that is also a, a sort of another name for the, uh, uh, for the gin within mm -hmm. the, it was, I didn't, I didn't hear it. It's a root. Root. Rue. Like the rue. like what like we the plant. Make the plant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, and in Farsi we would say as funds, but also rue for both. So there's there's a lot of overlaps I find between the Italian and the Persian traditions, and the elementals are both very very important ways that we work. 
Now, both of my families were not religious um, in their generations in a traditional sense. Like they didn't, mm -hmm. my grandmother did not go to mosque. Um, she did not cover her hair, never had. And um, even though on my, so her brother was a uh, Saeed, um, so he would have been of the line of Ali um, in the tradition, but they really had their own type of spirituality that was, I think, much more connected to Zoroaster and to more primal types of traditions. I think there was something much more, um, they, they went to a different layer, I think, of those traditions where they were really connecting it to the elemental movements, to the way that we work with water, the way we work with fire. And those are really the two elements, I think, that are primary um, in Persian tradition. The other elements are also obviously the, the vehicles to move energies, but fire and water are <laughs> the two that I think are um, the ones that are most focused on. That. Right. Whereas in Italian, so, it's kind of all of it. It's it's really, we look at all of them as equal. And we look mm -hmm. at all of them as interacting. Whereas I found in, at least in my family's way of looking at things, my mother worked primarily, she would bring in the fire when we were clearing things out, when we were um, shifting energies, when we were calling in different jinn as workings. Now, the water would have been more for her, at least. She had connections to the angelic runs. She was very connected to angels, very, very, very connected to angels. And so for her, when she was doing water work, she would bring in rose petals, um, cardamom, uh, the water bowl, all of these different mm -hmm. things. And those would be part of that speaking with the angel or, the, or God, which she would just call God. What was that word? Sorry, gold God. 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 Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay. And she did call God Allah, like she did use Allah, but she was not. Um, she just she had her ways, and her ways were passed down right. from her mom, from her grandmother. It was kind of all the way. Right. There. Right. Right. And and so, in that Persian side, was did yeah. you because you're talking about many uh, areas of subject matters that interest, interest me greatly um, and are, and are you know, uh, sort of a, a focus of years of cross-cultural yeah. research and, and integration and trying to rescue some of the elements that, you know, that are in Afro-Cuban Ifa and, and other things so that people have a more global vision of the geomancy and everything else as well. Um, on the topic of geomancy, was it ever spoken? Uh, did, did anybody speak of the term geomancy um, no. in any of the, or any type of the man, or, or any type of Nancy in mm -hmm. uh, in the Persian on your Persian side? No, I don't think they did, and I don't. I wonder though. I feel like sometimes some of what my grandmother said was she would censor herself a lot um, mm -hmm. after coming here right before the revolution, I think what was happening in Iran was very traumatic. And I think because of that, mm -hmm. she felt unsafe talking about some of those things. So I think she kept it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so I think she kept it to um, speaking in a more veiled type of a way. She would very openly talk about her connection with angels. She would very openly talk about her connection with God, with spirit. She would also very openly talk about how no man, as in the Ayatollahs or the Mullahs, Lucas was going to tell her what to do. <laughs> For her. Yeah. <laughs> And that's really important to to understand and to know, because a lot of people, I think, look um, uh, as modern Iran as being very much under Muslim rule and everything. But what people forget is that back in the 60s, yeah. um, Iran was very modern. I mean, like women, they had a voice. They wore modern clothes. They were very much... Um, a part of what the rest of the world was was getting into, you know, wearing mini skirts, etc. And it wasn't until this this horrible sort of revolution of you know monotheistic, you know, Islamic rule that people yeah, forget that women were very much a part of the society and had a voice, and there was no oh. way they were going to be told. I worked well, with my, a few Iranian women, and they were very strong women. And there was no way, I mean, they left Iran because of what had happened. And they had a very strong voice in their family, right? And I think, Not well, for my, yeah, my grandmother was very much the, the center of the, I mean, of the family. And she, um, it was funny because there's this tradition well, there's no ruse, you know, which is coming up here on the 20th, 20th, 21st of March, which is our new year. And one of the aspects of the sofre, which is the table that we set up that has all of the different um, symbolic aspects of the new year, um, you're supposed to put a holy book on the table. And for years, she put her, her mother's Quran or her grandmother's Quran, which was this beautiful, you know, all uh, calligraphy, just incredible book and she was so angry this was maybe 10 or 15 years ago with what was happening you know in the world in the name of islam she was just so angry about the whole thing that she put her book away and she said no this is not what it's about and so she always put out a book of rumi poems so for her rumi was very important as well so she put out a book of rumi poems and she's like this is my god this is my i find my god in these poems i find my god in find my spirit in these words so that will be the holy book and poetry is a huge part of Iranian culture <laughs> like poetry and poetry and I think her brother who's my great was my great uncle was one of the best poetry like storytellers I've ever mm -hmm. ever you know, sit around the table after dinner and part of the tradition is you drink your tea and you have cookies and someone will pick up a thread and recite a poem. And some of these poems were, you know, <laughs> could last for an hour, but they were, he just had a way of saying them where we would just all become kind of enthralled. And that is magic to me. Storytelling. Absolutely. And that, thread that kind of connects all of us and will bring in that circle of, of energy around a table. Like when we're doing those things, we're creating something that is um, not just in the present moment, but something that endures and something that creates this incredible connection. And family and tradition and food, you know? <laughs> Food's a big one for Christians and Italians. 
<laughs> and Polish, the Slavic. You know, I, I sat here as you were talking and I put Slavic because we have Slavic people. I really do believe we have a very strong link to the Iranian, okay, the ancient um, Iranian well, my, past. So my grandmother's mother was Russian, technically, because mm -hmm. she was from the very, very north. Um, mm -hmm. But her father was Persian. So she had, you know, red hair and blue eyes. I dated an Iranian man whose mother was blonde haired and blue eyed. And he said, my mother looked like you, which I was always like, okay. But, you know, I understood what he was saying. And on a deeper level, because of that link, ancestrally, right? And again, with Italians, because um, Poland at one time had an Italian queen. Okay. And she brought a lot of tradition. So a lot of our food overlaps. Okay. Which some people don't know that. And I think that kind of sort of, you know, panned out through other Slavic countries. So like I said, I sat here and I put Slavic and I put an arrow to Iranian and an arrow over to Italian, something, you know, that I could link to, you know, so thank you for well, that. And yeah, of course. And I hope that was, I, I hope I answered the elemental question. <laughs> <laughs> so so in the absence of the word or uh, formal geomancy uh, what yeah. other systems of divination are was it was it just spirit like basically hearing spirit and spirit would you know uh but when faced with either decisions challenges illness or yeah. other situations what or if you know in terms of understanding the path or or, or guiding children or next generation on a, you know on their path and giving them insight would they you know look at things like um, palmistry or uh, cartomancy or 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 thing or you know basically uh, reading the water, tea water or scrying or... for my persian side mm -hmm. for my grandmother she was she would consider herself a conduit so in her way of doing things, if someone needed healing, if someone needed, if there was something happening in the family or if she needed guidance, um, she, she prayed five times a day. She would go into her room and she would cover her head with white, which was very important through the top of her head. Um, she would cover usually in, in a type of, a, you know, she could even use a sheet, like it didn't really matter. She was just, that was part of it. And she would talk directly and so we always said you know grandma had a direct line <laughs> to the other things and so she would come back so she would very specifically say to too that she used her body to transmute what was coming through sometimes she would get sick and there was a bit of a payoff i think you could say when someone else would make an immediate turnaround on their health but grandma would be knocked out for like three days um usually through fever so i think she was calling in considerable amount of fire and air type of energies and it would take a bath to be able to move that cooling healing type of energy out so she for her she really used her body as yes on my italian side it was much more practical i think we used Mm -hmm. He used um, cards. My uncle was a tarot reader, of, you know, and we used mm -hmm. playing cards primarily. Mm -hmm. 
um, regular, you know, he had a deck of tarot cards too, but he liked the old um, Nukiati, which <laughs> there's some translation issues with that one. <laughs> okay. deck, which, you know, kind of means bullshit, I think would be the closest translation, but it comes from a mistranslation. It really is supposed to mean twins, which has okay. a whole aspect to our our traditions to twins are kind of an important one. Um, but on the Italian side, they were much more um, cartomancy, um, tassomancy, things that had more of a physical incarnation. The Persian side, and this is, you know, quite possibly could just be my grandmother, the way she did things, it was physical transmutation for her body. And it took a toll. I mean, there would be moments when, you know, she herself I, would be physically not affected. Well, yeah. Yeah. And then she, you know, come back, but she, it was almost like a, she saw it as a trade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you along those lines of divination. Um, I knew um, there was a lady that used to do belly dancing in my old neighborhood and her mother actually used to come to the studio. Okay. And she would read um, coffee grounds. That's what she did. And she, they were of Iranian background um, and she would actually read coffee grounds and she was very accurate and very, but I could tell that there was more of a link spiritually than just reading the ground. She'd read them and then she'd kind of like her eyes would flutter up and you knew and you felt it. She was connecting with spirit immediately. You know? I think that's the thing with, um, I, I don't, I have heard of other Persians using the coffee. My grandmother, though, she never drank coffee. She only drank tea. She never drank alcohol, except for one time in Mexico, which was hilarious because she got a, she got my dad's margarita instead of the virgin one. And she tasted it and she goes, this is the best margarita I've ever had. <laughs> or lemonade. I think she thought she was ordering lemonade. And my dad was like, let me taste that. And he's like, mama, that has alcohol. And she's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> No, 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 that's mine now. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of um, <laughs> that. But I, I have heard of other Persian families that we know right. using coffee. Right. We just, it just, right. she really, it was her body. Right. She used that. Um, I wanted to read what, uh, hi, Krisha, what Kristina Przebilska has to say here. I came in late. Is Andrea familiar with the night of Night Battles by Ginsberg, an anthropologic anthropologist, an anthropologist on Italian tradition of out-of-body travelers. Sorry, fighting. It's small writing. Sorry, guys. Fighting evil, and is she connected to any of that practice? Slavic and Persians share some of the same deities, like Smirgal. Yes. Okay. Sorry, you know, so that's kind of long, but um, I think you, for I wasn't, I'm not familiar with it, but now I'm going to look it up because now I'm all curious. Krisha's yeah, no, um, great at stuff like this. She pulls things out of the air and it's like, boom, there you go, right? Yeah. Have you heard about this, right? But anyway. For so. my grandmother, like there was this, she talked a lot about angelic energies that she worked with. And I think there was a continuum in the same, very similar with the Italians, but we didn't really see, um, there was this connection between dark and light that is not 
it's not polarity in the negative and the positive in the sense that it's one is bad, one is evil and one is good. There was much right. more of a um, nuanced uh, connection to those particular energies. So I didn't necessarily feel like we didn't really, I talk about evil, I think, um, but we weren't religious. So I, that, I, that, I feel like right. some of that comes from some of the religious traditions that might have overlapped um, mm -hmm. those cultures. Because for example, my Italian side, um, my grandmother was, my Italian grandmother was very interested in new thought and um, some of those early 20th century uh, traditions um, that were coming out of Austria and then later here. And so she, she was much more interested in the facets of, I think what, I don't, well, she would never have used this term herself. Like she would never have called herself a Luciferian. Like that would not be something she would have ever said. But um, there was this thought of uh, the own mind and, the own, and how we work and how we are sovereign and how we use these different energies to shift things and how we are very much kind of outside of the reach of dogma, if you will. Right, right, right. Right. part of our ways we never went to church no one was baptized this was not we weren't which was very odd at the time and very much not we were baptized in our ways but not in the church and so when i went right. to later on my parents so funny sent me to catholic all girls high school <laughs> and i found it fascinating and i actually loved learning from the nuns because I had really great nuns and they were not the meanies like they were really right interesting women right. and um so that's how I connected with saintly energies was learning through that as well but that came way later and so I was able to kind of look at that from the way I was raised which there was no guilt there's no sin there's no right. there nice. is responsibility huge responsibility because Which is nice, yeah. Which is a lot more evolved spiritually. There's just more personal responsibility and responsibility to community. So you can't just be absolved mm -hmm. of what you do. And um, so I think that is kind of where that came in. And um, yeah, and so I, I don't know. There, so I don't know. Evil was somewhat. Like I remember in middle school, kids telling me that my this was when the Gulf War started that my grandmother was going to burn in hell because uh, right, 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 right. And I'm like, really? Because you know, first of all, you don't really believe in that, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I just kind of was like, and it was so peculiar to me. I didn't even take it necessarily that personally. I was just kind of like, yeah. that's really sad. That that's how yeah. you feel. Yeah. That, that, that there's this weight on their shoulders of mm -hmm. hell that is like this looming thing. Whereas, and fear, so much fear that that kind of engendered. Whereas I never had fear of the spirit world or. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, there's certain entities I don't work with. I just don't feel connected to them. And they're not, I, I think for my particular path, I have and my mother as very, very, we both are very connected to the plant world. And that's just how, right. you know, how 
work. Like my mom sings lullabies to her seeds as they grow. She talks to them. They grow three times faster than else's, and they get huge because she loves them and they love her. And there's this community. Nice. And when we cut them, we promise them that we will take care of their babies and we will raise the next generation of right. next plants. So they will generation. continue. So I don't know. I, I hope that makes sense. They just absolutely so I, makes sense to me. <laughs> and so I don't want my raising my child. I know she'll be confronted with those aspects of the world as I was. Yeah. Um, I think we're in a different time now. Things are definitely moving very yeah, fast. And I think there's a lot more openness to different ways of perceiving what we experience. Um, my uncle, the one who inspired my first book, was a physicist as well as a practitioner in the Italian ways. And he really had a very solid belief that we, um, that all of these things that we experience and that we work through do have I'm not going to say a scientific explanation, but um, a, a point and a purpose that we can better understand through science and that, um, that our entire uh, system of how we use time is mm -hmm. in a linear fashion is flawed. And I feel like so many traditions that are like the Persians, like I believe I'm not sure because I don't have much experience, but with Ifa, there's a more circular or a more connected sense of time. And so his belief was that this was something that was very much, um, as far as like time travel or out of body travel, that we were getting to these points where we were going to understand more about how that worked with our magic. And I think that's why I love math so much because it's just another language of the universe. And when I would, there were certain yes. spells that are very typical in Italian tradition. And I was noticing the patterns that were very similar to like a Fibonacci series where there were reductions and increases yeah. like, by different iterations. And so I would look at those and go, oh, wow. So our Italian ancestors like 500 years ago were using this spell. They were using this work. But this is something that is also can be broken down into a language of mathematics in certain ways. Right, right. Okay, very interesting, very interesting. Fascinating, fascinating the connection with the, with math, which people always think is so very left-brained or very right-brained. <laughs> but don't you think yet, that's uh, a way of kind of polarizing everything and putting them into boxes is that nothing's connected when yeah. everything's mm -hmm. connected? <laughs> oh, and Claire wants to say... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, sorry. Read, read Claire's comment if you want. All makes sense to me. I talk to my seeds, plants, trees, etc. The animals. That's right, because Claire has a beautiful garden up here. Um, I had the privilege of seeing that lovely garden, and I know her connection to her her plants and that. So, thank you, Claire, for uh, for making your comment there. Absolutely. And all of that overlaps too. Like when we think about, I wrote a piece last year about foxglove and uh, hummingbirds and how there is this the interconnection. You know, fox, hummingbirds love the deep-throated flowers so they can reach the pollen. They love foxglove and how um, 
you know, foxglove digitalis has been used in medicine for heart conditions and how there's this beautiful symmetry of how hummingbirds have one of the fastest heartbeats and they are you know, attracted to that flower and just all of these ways that we interconnect on these simple, um, what may seem as very mundane or very simplistic, but really it's this whole mosaic of life that is beautifully interconnected. And absolutely like a network. It is. And everything is moving with spirit. So there's no, I, I mean, for me, I don't feel that disconnect where some might look at a plant as an object to me mm -hmm. in a relationship. Yes. No, it's true. As I sit here and look at my plants. But anyway, Jean-Jerome, did you have any other questions? I yeah, I'm going to sum up like in the interest of time. Okay. Right, yeah, right, in, right. In the, interest of, yeah, in the interest of time, I'm going to just ask one sort of last question. And then because I don't want to, we don't want to abuse your time and so you can uh, take care of your, of your beautiful daughter. Um, this has been a very interesting talk. Very, I think we could even do a part two on this. I would love um, to. Sure. I can see part two and let's get Jill Michael in I was on this. Say, let's yeah, get John yeah, Michael yeah. in here. I miss, like, yeah. I love, yeah. <laughs> all he has to say has been so influential and such a huge mm -hmm. connection for me in my life. No, absolutely, absolutely, he has. Absolutely. Uh, as I hear you speak and as I hear you uh, describe uh, the plants and nature and, and also even. Uh, things like express through your jewelry or, or even the way you describe all the interactions, all that. Um, I have to ask you a question. And and uh, what is your, within the Italian, also within the, the Persian heritage, um, when it comes to nature, when it comes to spirits of nature, we talked about, you know, the plants having a, a consciousness mm -hmm. and the spirit of being allies. Uh, but I'm looking for a very specific target of type of spirituality. Um, and I'll preface it as well is that within the, the diaspora and, and the Fa and all that, quite often the Orisha of nature, of plants and all that, which is called Osanin, Osain, mm -hmm. which is supposed to be, is, is described as the owner of the plants and the, the one, the custodian of, of everything which has to do with plants, animals, and so forth. Uh, what sometimes in the diaspora is I know is that that Osayin has in in the diaspora is oftentimes depicted as male, right, mm -hmm. and de and deformed because of a war with another elemental, if you will, which was Shango. Okay, where Shango basically it's a long story, but anyways, let's just say it was deformed. But one thing that is 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 known in in um, in uh, Nigeria, in Oyo, and all that. Osain is actually, there are like many things in Ifa. There's a masculine and a feminine. Although in this case, the masculine takes on the majority of the, of the attention, there are feminine paths of Osain. In other words, there is a female mm -hmm. manifestation of Osain. In the transliteration of that, which um, right now, if anybody, if any Babala or, or, or Larisha is there, they're probably like, what, 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 what? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, what are you talking about? 
but one one of the in 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 terms of language and in terms of use of language, uh, Osine is is uh, in his feminine manifestation or that energy's feminine manifestation. One of its forms in English, in, in terms of the translation or the description, is described as a beautiful wood sprite, or <laughs> essentially also a fae. My question to you, with that big lead up or build up, is <laughs> what is the concept or the description or even the recognition of a spiritual class, a spiritual being called faith? For, um, well, let's see, how do I say this? For, for the Italian side, I think the Italian side might be more straightforward. I, more straightforward. Um, there is, Faunus, of course, is the god of. The forest and he's considered to be the voice of the forest and sometimes it's connected to pan there's a lot of different um connections that go back to that in my family one of the plant spirits that we are most connected to and this is where i'm going to get to the fae part <laughs> but it is the lilac and the lilac um favorite plant <laughs> it's very powerful spirit very powerful plant and if you go back to some of the ancient um, stories about Faunus and how he was, uh, or Pan, I think in this particular story, was attracted to uh, Syringa. That is, you know, La Syringa, that's the name of the plant. But it actually was a forest spirit, a fae, a, a, a nymph, if you will, a forest nymph. And she transformed herself into the lilac to get away from his advances. Because she wasn't interested. And he couldn't find her, but he found the lilac plant and he broke off a little branch and he turned that into his flute to become part of the song of the forest. So for us, the lilac is our representation. Lilac spirit, lilac plant, lilac bushes are part of our, a big part of our particular tradition. Um, in fact, here's so the lilac spirit to us is a way of naming, I guess, if you will, one of the bay, one of the elements that we work with. In some ways, maybe we are part of that line somehow. My some of the journey work that has come through and some of the things that my grandmother on the Italian side has shared and great grandmother has been the concept that um, the grape, for example, which is also very important for both traditions, the grape vine, the grape spirit, the grape plant, which about, you know, Bacchus or Faunus are connected to in the spirit realm or in the personification of those particular gods. Um, that they, that we were birthed or we came from those plants and not from those gods. That the plants came first and the gods were birthed of the plants. If that makes sense. So there's... Well, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to anybody who follows the, the Ifa Rodin tradition because we say there is no Orisha. There is no God without the plant. 
And each orisha, each orisha is a is basically birth in ours, initially washed and given its genesis through picking the the plants which are that resonate with the mm -hmm. the energy or the consciousness of that orisha. So that makes perfect sense <laughs> to to orisha version. And that's how we perceive it. And yeah. that was a very clear message that came through that that was something, you know, that we, and, you know, my grandmother planted in our Port Townsend home. Um, they had four acres ish, and there was a border all the way around of lilacs, um, all different colors. And every year, every spring, we make a potion, a lilac protection mm -hmm. potion. And this is in my second book too. It is a way to, it is a protective potion. It's something that we wear, we spray on our, over our head. Everything goes, you know, here, up here first. Mm -hmm. um, and then we can, you know, spray a room. We can put it on clothes. We can do all of these things. We protect babies, children with it because they're so open. We have to do a lot of work around them to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And so working with only spirits that are appropriate for them. And um, so every year at the family, and this was the first year we didn't do it, you know, this past spring, we did it, we were still at the farm with my parents and cut the lilacs. I, I, we cut it, they were on the porch and my mom hung all of them on her side and then I took them home and did the distillation instead of doing it together in the kitchen like we would normally do. But um, we make about 150 bottles and, you know, they sell out within like a week because it's, you know, oh, it's, wow so popular over the years this is something that goes all the way back to you know our italian side and my italian one of my cousins mm -hmm. in italy made the potion this year because we're all separated in tandem mm -hmm. in italy and so it's um lilacs and it has other particular herbs that we use that protect from and this is going to be my great grandmother's words so vampire parasitic energy anything parasitic right right clears it out like some of my friends right. in part of my language they call it bitch be gone but i don't know if my grandma would call it that but oh, we I, know. I know that one bitch right. be gone yeah <laughs> right. and it's um it's incredibly powerful and so violet did her first my daughter did her very first um, potion with the lilacs when she was two and that was her first time and it was like a gathering we had you know all of our friends came that are not at all witchy or anything they just were part of our oh <laughs> John Michael talking about the lilac and you know she was there with other two-year-olds and they're all picking the flowers and eating them and, and there's a joyfulness the life the vitality that is in that plant spirit and that plant mother that is walking with us and helping us every year. So absolutely one of our traditions. I have, I have an affinity for lilac and have for years. I used to have two uh, big lilac bushes in my uh, small little garden in the city that I absolutely loved. Um, <laughs> is no longer, but I love lilac. Before we wrap up too, and I, I just want to say one thing, because it's winter and people are home and, you know, in some places there's a lot of snow and we don't have those plants with us right now. Right. That doesn't mean you can't call in the spirit of lilac. Right. To sit Absolutely. With you. 
they're everywhere and they are all even when they're sleeping absolutely and i love you john michael so good to see your um yes john michael it was so nice for him to pop in and and uh give his uh his input there so anyway um so Yes, in the interest of time, I think we're going to wrap up. Time, yeah. I so enjoyed yep. this talk, and I know I speak for everybody who tuned in. And just thank you so much for coming on board, Andrea. I look forward to, to more discussions, private discussions, Absolutely. things like that, with you and with Gian Michael, for sure. And so I want to take this time to say thank you again to you, Jean Jerome, for holding everything in the back there and, and putting up with uh with all the technical stuff and everybody's input and yes love you too i'll, I'll get you Michael. guys a link for inner alchemy collective too i'll get that over yes to you. absolutely yes please anybody wants to pop on and just take a look because it's really special i think it it's is i think it is and i think there's there's some really good and interesting things that are going to be coming that yeah. way is that on Facebook or is that the, the website? Uh, the website, the actual Inner yeah. Alchemy, yeah. If you tell me right now, I can quickly. Hey John, maybe John Michael could pop the link into the comments if he's still watching. Because okay. I know he, there was a specific one where you guys can do the the free, you know, yeah. pop around and look at everything. Right. right. I mean, you could even easily do the first uh, module of um, mm -hmm. my class. You know, you don't need seven days. You could go through, you know, just take a look and kind of mm -hmm. experience mm -hmm. it. Um, but yeah, and thank you, everyone. I see such lovely comments. It's been so beautiful and no, they, they have been. They've been absolutely beautiful and positive in that. And uh, so I want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in. Claire, thank you for all your comments and everyone. Um, so we're going to say goodbye at this time. I've got impatient dogs who are looking at me, one in particular, who I keep pushing away, putting the microphone on mute, <laughs> telling her to sit down, lay down, stop. So if you see me making faces, it's me trying to connect with her because she's connecting with me. <laughs> but anyway, let's put up the link and just, there, jean -Jerome, and yeah, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, so the inner, inner alchemy is there. We've got our little mascot, our friend mascot, Mojo and Titi Lagi, so uh, which are watching the show for, you know, they watched us all like uh, the fall of 2020. And now the, 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 the uh, these are Beth uh, and uh, Rob's uh, kittens. So they watch our show uh, attentively. So we have to give a shout out for them. And again, I'm, I'm, thank you, uh, uh, Jen Michael. Uh, Interalchemy.online collective. So, right. For anybody Perfect. Who wants to check that out? And uh, again, it's been a pleasure. Very much. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. So much. I really appreciate it. And um, yes. I just really appreciate having this space to talk with you guys and especially about Thank things you. that I love and just adore both of you. <laughs> and two hours just flew by and I know my daughter's gonna be like, what are you doing? <laughs> so waiting. <laughs> well I thank you and thank you daughter for for allowing us to take you away from her. And uh, and Beth wants to say 
They send their regrets. They missed the first couple of shows this year. Ah, right. Okay. Well, that, that's okay. <laughs> They're allowed. And um, so, ag again, I want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in. I'm sure you all enjoyed meeting Andrea and getting a chance to talk to her a little bit more in depth and some wonderful ways to connect. So, Absolutely. I just and, say and stay tuned for part two of this. So, John Michael, if you're, if, you're, if you're hearing us now, if you're hearing this show right now, both you and Andrea, we do a part two, expanding a little bit on some of these topics and doing a little bit more on the comparative side. Sort of like a round table discussion. I love exactly. the and, Alchemy Collective exactly. and talking about exactly. that for sure. So, exactly. yes. So, everybody. Thank you. And thank you for all the good comments and everyone who tuned in. So I'm going to say goodbye because I got to go. I'm getting the, the the look again here on okay. this end. So bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so bye. much for tuning in. And thank you so much, Andrea, for being on the show. Thanks, you guys. And thanks, Teresa. Excellent job. Okay. All right. Okay. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>